Welcome to the Lit Flix podcast episode six. Can you believe it? Six, six. episodes. Oh my God. Amazing. We've come so far. We're doing it. <laughs> we are books, movies, booze. So we read a book, we watch a movie, we have some drinks, and we talk about it. And sometimes we do get too drunk. It happens. I'm a little drunk tonight, I'll be honest. Okay, I'm on drink two, two and a half. All right. I'm Casey. I am Abby. And tonight's episode is The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. It was published in 2014, along with a 2016 film by the same name. And tonight I am drinking one of my favorite drinks, my favorite brunch drinks. It is a Bloody Mary. Gross. <laughs> uh, screw you. Times 100. <laughs> The whole idea of savory alcohol, I don't know if I can get behind it. Uh, Sometimes, like, if I drink too many, I think all the acidity hurts my stomach. That makes sense. But I really like it, and I like it spicy. The one that's in the picture for our recipe looked so... I think there's, like, bacon on it and stuff. It looks really good. That's a little too much. I usually just do celery and Andrew olives. That all sounds good. It's really good. I don't like cold tomato anything other than just tomatoes. Okay. Like, uh, to- so ketchup. Okay, that's different. That's like all corn syrup. <laughs> I don't like like tomato juice. I would never choose to just drink tomato juice, and I know people like clamato. I was just thinking about I, that. Ugh. That is, I hate that. That is disgusting. Have you had it? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's awful. Okay, I hate clams. Yeah. So there's no way I would put it together. Yeah, that just sounds. I so know people sick. also drink like, what are they called? It's tomato juice and beer. What the fuck? <laughs> you're going straight to the ninth circle of hell if you're doing that. It really is so gross. I can't think of what it's called. Bullshit is what it's called. Yuck. <laughs> It is called garbage. <laughs> hey, bartender, hand me another garbage drink. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, okay. our book and our movie. This book ticked all of the boxes for it me. It ticked them? It ticked every single box for me. In my head, if I was ever going to write a book, this is the book I want to write. That's so awesome. I, I I knew as soon as I started reading it, I was like, Casey's got the biggest lady boner right now. Oh, my God. I so do. I love everything about it. <laughs> I Spoiler alert. I loved this book also. Okay. This is, I'm happy. This, yeah. this book is like, oh, I can't. <laughs> I just can't. Like, this is my dream book. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is like a cross between... Something and something else, but it's also like, uh, I am never, I am legend and never let me go. Yes, I was like, this is the book I wanted when I picked up Never Let Me Go. I could have even taken mm-hmm. a dialed back version of this for Never Let Me Go, but okay, yeah, this is like a really good book. I obsessively love this book, <laughs> and I didn't know you, you liked it that much. That's so cool. Hear me freak out about it throughout this episode (laughs) i read it in two and a half days oh you're a fucking asshole i 
just could not get enough of this book. It it is life for me. <laughs> this book is amazing. I did not get to read it in two and a half days as much as I would have liked to. Okay. But yeah, it's a really great book. We're not bearing the lead okay. on that one. No, okay. not at all. Do you have info okay. about it? I, I do. So MR Carey is actually a pen name for Mike Carey. He is a British-born author and he was born in 1959 in liverpool number one how is mr carey a pen name if that's just your first fucking initial well isn't it just mr carey <laughs> i didn't even <laughs> notice that but yeah it totally is <laughs> mr carey mr carey was born in liverpool i was okay. just gonna ask you did you say he's british i have not been listening anyway Go ahead. Okay. He described his younger self as one of those ominous, ominously, ominous. What the fuck is that? (laughs) Ominously quiet kids. Like you. How do you? And I have never felt something in my soul like that statement. (laughs) Like that is me. I this should have been my book. I like how you're like I'm so quiet and introverted, but you have a fucking podcast. Well, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> if I had an ounce of talent, I would be Mr. Carey writing this <laughs> Mr. book. <laughs> Can I just call him that MR Carey? It's Mr. Carey. Let's be real. I'm never going to look at it any other way. <laughs> So he maintained interests from childhood in comics, writing, and drawing primitive stories that he used to do to entertain his younger brother. Oh, like Georgie and Bill. Oh, Georgie. That's so cute. Okay. He studied English at St. Peter's College in Oxford. Yeah, he did. Before becoming a teacher, he continued to teach for 15 years before he started to write comics. Hmm. After a series of kind of one-off jobs for independent comic companies, he wrote a uh, a biographical comic on Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, interesting. I would actually like to read that. He, he would make a good comic book, Ozzy would. He would. Uh, He went on to write for Vertigo Imprint and DC Comics, and he wrote the entire run of the Eisner Award-nominated comic book Lucifer. Is that what the show is based on? I don't know. Okay, that's fine. Just curious. (laughs) Okay. Uh, He's an ongoing writer of X-Men Legacy and also the Ultimate Fantastic Four for Marvel Comics. Very cool. His... First feature film, which sadly collapsed before production began, Aww. was an erotic ghost story called Frost Flowers. What in the hell? I don't know, but I want to know what this is so bad. Like, I want to see I this. I mean, I'd watch it. <laughs> I would 100% watch it. I just think about, like, all those creepypastas, those erotic creepypastas that have been written. Yeah. Uh That's kind of what it sounds like. I wonder if that's why they didn't make it. I don't know. I'm sure it was better quality than this. So they say it was in like June 2006 and the script is still in limbo. So I'm assuming it's not happening. Yeah, that was a while ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
He's also worked on the TV series The Stranded and the first co-production between Virgin Com- which was the first co-production between Virgin Comics and the Sci-Fi Network. Oh, okay. This book was originally based on his 2013 Edgar Award-nominated short story for an, antho- an anthology edited by Charlene Harris, which is the <gasps> author of True Blood. Yeah. Wow, that was and real squeaky. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, to- and Tony Kellner. Oh, cool. So it was a short story. The anthology they were doing was about, like, schools. Oh, interesting. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, in 2017, Carrie published the prequel novel called The Boy on the Bridge, and it's about a team of scientists and soldiers on a mission to find a cure for the fungal infection, and it's set sometime before The Girl with All the Gifts. Okay, we need to read that immediately. I have plans to buy that. <laughs> the other interesting fact was he wrote the screenplay the same time he was writing the novel. I thought I read something about that and I was like, that sounds like a challenge. He said that if you tell the same story in different media, you're you're diverted down different paths. It's like you're trying to make a story talk in its own voice, but in two different languages. Okay. I get that. I thought that was kind of interesting. It's funny because I was like under a serious time crunch. So I watched the movie whilst I was in the middle of the book. So I kind of feel like I sort of get it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to put it. Because since we we do look at the book and the movie, it really is things get lost in translation. Things Mm -hmm. get not even lost in translation. Things are just slightly changed and something that works on paper doesn't necessarily work on film yeah sometimes the differences don't work and sometimes they are perfection yeah thought it was interesting that he did them at the same time that would be hard but yes that is really interesting the director of this movie is colin mccarthy who was is a huge tv vet for directing things he has done an episode of black mirror sherlock two episodes of ripper street and multiple episodes of peaky blinders oh i still need to watch that it's good so he has a lot more to his credit those are just ones that kind of stood out for very me. british very british do you like sherlock i love sherlock do you like black mirror uh, I okay no 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 no. I don't mean to be like I don't like it I've only watched like an episode of a, an episode and a half okay. so I it's I, on my list I just don't have time there are definitely episodes I like more than others maybe that's what happened is I watched the second episode where they're all in that thing where you have to like bike for points or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. and so yeah, I was I like that. falling asleep I mean the prime minister fucking a pig was a little bit much that was the first episode I saw, and I was like, um... It's the first episode. I was into it. I'm not going to lie. Okay. <laughs> not, like, into it, but, like, <laughs> I was into watching. I got it. It was cool. There is an episode of Black Mirror that I really like that's with Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, yeah. I heard she was in that. I like her in that. I like her anyway, but I thought it was a good episode. She is fucking great. Let's be honest. Uh, for our podcast, it might be a little late. Here's my explicit warning. There's also spoilers in this episode. <laughs> so uh, you've been warned on both. <laughs> too little, too late, but that's fine. Too little, too it's late. It's tagged. 
here it is. All right. Do you have anything or do you want to get into the plot of this fantastic I'm book? ready to do plot. I am so excited to tackle this one. This one's going to be fun. All right. Okay. Putting on my reading voice. 20 years ago, humanity was infected by a variant of the fungus. Afio. Wait, I can do this. Aphiocordyceps unilateralis. Okay, try that quicker. Nope. <laughs> Aphiocordyceps unilateris. Nope, you missed an L. Damn it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you missed a single letter. I'm going to fault you for it. Dang it. Okay. All right. I can say Archaeornithomimus. <laughs> Good for fucking you. <laughs> Uh, I taught my friend at work the word anti-disestablishmentarianism. She didn't know it. It's not a hard word. Oh it's just funny. Anyway. Um, the can Did you teach her how to spell it? No, she's smart. She can figure it out herself. Also, I don't know how to spell it. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. The infected referred to as hungries quickly lose their mental powers and feed on the flesh of healthy humans. The disease spreads through blood and saliva, but can also spread through spores created by the fungus. In England, the few surviving uninfected humans either live in heavily guarded areas, such as Beacon, or Roman packs of hostile scavenging quote-unquote junkers. (laughs) 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 Okay, uh, to start off, I just want to say here we have another zombie novel that never mentions the Z word. Oh, that's true. And it's such a zombie trope that whatever. What is a zombie? Is there like a real definition of it? Of a zombie? Yeah. Do you think there's not a definition of a well, zombie? Well, it's so broad. Like think about how many different kinds of zombies there are. Okay. There are undead people walking around eating other people. That is a zombie. Okay. Definition of zombie according to the internet. A corpse said to be revived by witchcraft, especially in certain African and Caribbean religions. Number two, a tall mixed drink consisting of several kinds of rum, liquor, and fruit juice. We should have had that. <laughs> what in the fuck? What am I reading? Okay, hold on. A zombie. A I, cannibal. I found one. I found one. A willless okay. and speechless human, as in voodoo belief. Held to have died and been supernaturally reanimated. B, the supernatural power that, according to voodoo belief, may enter into and reanimate a dead body. Number two, a person to help a person held to resemble the so-called walking dead. B, a person mark. It's a zombie. Okay, we get it. Okay, I think, you know, if we see a zombie, we know what a zombie is. You know it when you see it, people. Like those people on the crazy bath salts cannibalizing other people <laughs> oh. and they get shot a hundred times and don't stop. Do you know what I'm talking I'm about? Scared. Okay, it's a zombie. I know what you're talking about. Okay. I don't know what my point was. It was, do we use the word zombie or do we use the word infected? We use the word hungry. Or do we use the word infected? Friggin' abortion. <laughs> like yes. they did in the book. Okay. From the movie in the book. Okay. First off, there are no junkers in the movie. Right, which I was thought was and bullshit. I was really looking forward to see mm-hmm. them and the crazy machines that they build to herd the hungries. Mm-hmm. And they cover themselves with tar. And I I really wanted to see this. And I get why they cut it, but I wanted it. I was super pissed that they cut it. I don't... I was really mad. I thought their presence added a lot more dimension to the world. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like depth. Other people are always the scariest fucking part of any apocalypse. I will believe it till the day I die. I have things later that they say about the Junkers that are so prevalent and great. And it just was completely cut from the movie. Yeah. Was it ever explained how the virus came to fruition or not? So in the book, he talks about that the fungus may had have had help jumping from species because it was originally in ants. Oh, and that's right. I I tied this into I Am Legend with the hubris of humans. And so here we go again, thinking we are great shit and messing with nature. <laughs> Man, stop. <laughs> Stay out of nature. You are going to kill us all. <laughs> I wonder who we're talking to right now. Who is you? <laughs> you is the man. Yeah, fuck the man. Okay. The authorities in Beacon, which is... Wait. Oh, go ahead. One Sorry, last thing. Ahead. One last okay. thing. Um, The story is set about 20 to 30 years after what they call the breakdown, which is the downfall of humanity. Cool. Okay. All right. The authorities in Beacon set up a remote... Mi- military base for the study of a specific group of child hungries. They, unlike others, are able to retain their mental powers and only lose control when they get too close to human scent. Soldiers, led by Sergeant Eddie Parks, find such child hungries and bring them to the base, where they are educated by teachers and tested by the head scientist, Dr. Caroline Caldwell. This often means she vivisects the children, which Caroline... I'm sorry, which Helen, just to know, a behavioral psychologist and teacher at the base, dislikes. Okay, dislikes is a really weak word for that. Can you give me a definition on vivisex? Uh, like vivisection is when you dissect an living organism while it's still alive. Okay, perfect. Thank I you. I believe. Let me double check. Practice of performing operation on live animals for the purpose of experimentation or scientific research. It's really fucked up is what it is. Thank you so much. I do not think I know that word. I knew that word. So do you have anything here? Uh, Not until later. Okay. I have a couple things just because we introduced the two characters. So Caldwell is fucking stone cold. Oh, Glenn Close. Glenn Close plays her in the movie, and she was fantastic. Okay. I liked the movie Caldwell a lot better than the book Caldwell, I will say. Okay. Um, In the book, she chooses something that was interesting to me. In the book, she chooses who to vivisect based on their, like, intelligence. But in the movie, mm-hmm. she has Melanie pick a number between 1 and 20. So messed up. And when we finally get into the lab, the specimen jars are labeled with the kids' numbers because the kids are, oh, God, it's so fucked. It's disturbing and so sad. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is. And one thing I thought about Caldwell, so in the book to me, she seemed like a total psychopath, like just a totally despicable character. I, I felt like she didn't seem to understand or recognize any point of view other than her own. And she seemed almost like a nutty professor, like she had a lack of common sense. But in the movie with Glenn Close playing her, I got the feeling that she was a little bit more capable and a little more aware that she was choosing to be cold, like that there were other options, but she was choosing this one. Yeah. I disagree. I actually have this written down for later. Okay. I can tell you now, though. Okay. Let me... Find it in my notes. Uh, 
Okay. Towards the end of the book, Caldwell says, if the road to knowledge was paved with dead children, which it sometimes and in some places it has been, she'd still walk it and absolve herself afterwards. (gasps) Oh my God. You're so right. So I think she 100% knows what she's doing and she just chooses to follow that path anyway. Yes. I don't Mm -hmm. think she... I don't think she shortchanges herself at all. I think she knows exactly who she is and she just happens to be okay with it. Yeah, and I think Glenn Close, like, captured the fuck out of that. I do, too, because I think she 100% got that message into the character without ever saying that. Because, yeah, I wrote down that quote specifically from the book because I thought it was such a perfect depiction of her. You're right, because I'm wondering if, like, there were certain points where she was so depraved that I just started muting what she said because I didn't want to listen to it like in my brain you know what I mean but yeah that's a great point she I think she's 100% aware of what she's doing she just feels like it's absolutely necessary yeah yes okay all right back to plot Justino sees the child hungries as people and is especially fond of Melanie, a 10-year-old with a genius-level IQ. Melanie loves Justino as a surrogate mother. Like the other children, Melanie does not understand that she is different from the adults. This is the part that really drew strong ties for me to never let me go. Oh, yes. So hard. Including that Melanie thinks there may be 100 billion people living in Beacon. And when she grows up, her and Miss J are going to live there together and be happy. And Mm. it's just such a naive fantasy world that she lives in. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me so much of Never Let Me Go. Yeah, she's got... um... Also, that setup where Miss J in the classroom almost says too much... Remember mm-hmm. that part? And Melanie yep. wanting to protect Miss Justino. It was yeah. so close to never let me go that I was like, parts of me were like, there's no way this is a coincidence. And she even tells Melanie, I'll never let you go later in the movie. I thought Melanie wrote it into her story. She might have. Okay. Or maybe I'm confusing it with the movie. But here's my okay. question about that. Would these themes pop up no matter what because they're so universal? Or do you think it was a direct reference to Never Let Me Go? I don't know. I know it draws like strong ties with it. I want to believe it was a direct reference. Okay. That's what I want to think. The issue I have with the movie, like right here, introducing characters. Mm -hmm. Miss Justino is played by Gemma Arterton. Arterton. I don't know how to say her name. Uh Yes. Okay, so in the book, we have such a vivid description of her as this beautiful black woman in her 40s -hmm. with this big halo-like hair. And that's what I wanted. She was black? Yes. She talks about her beautiful dark skin. Oh, I'm an idiot. I did not (laughs) register that. She talks about it like multiple times. And I really wanted that. I wanted an older black woman Mm -hmm. and not older she's in her 40s but that's and wise so what we got is a young white woman Mm -hmm. and Gemma does a great job but that's not what I wanted like I wanted a casting I wanted it cast the way the the book was written and I don't care about any of the other changes I don't care that Melanie is black in the movie that's great yeah I wanted Miss J 
Like, I didn't want you to change her race or her age. And it pisses me off that it was. Yeah, I actually didn't like the way Gemma Arterton played her. And I'll get to that later. But okay, um, because I just thought she was way too vulnerable and way too like flimsy, I guess. <laughs> okay, I thought she did fine. I just she's not who she was in the book. No. And I wanted the book version so bad yeah. that it. It annoyed me the entire movie. Yeah. One thing I'll say is, oh, God, I hope I'm not going to fuck up her name. I loved Sania Nanua as Melanie. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say it? She was, I don't know. She is fantastic. I want to see her in more. Yeah. One thing I loved about Melanie was her body language was so expressive, especially in the beginning. Like, you could feel the anticipation when she knew that the doors were going to open and she was going to go to class and she was so excited. And you could feel her, like, disappointment, too, when the breath left her body and she was, like, when Miss J didn't show up or whatever. Right. She did such a good job at being a little girl. She's a great actress. Yeah, she was really good. Also, I don't even know how old she is. I don't either. But one thing I kept thinking was, like, I'm so jealous of Melanie. Like, I would trade <laughs> eating living flesh for a genius level IQ. I'm not going to lie. Like, her thirst for knowledge is almost as strong as her thirst for blood. I think she is a great character. I do, too. I really, I love I'm her. really jealous of how smart she is. <laughs> One thing I noticed that Caldwell and Justino have in common was their, like, impossible missions that they have set up for them in the book. Well, and in the movie. So, Caldwell's trying to find a cure or vaccine or whatever, and Miss Justino's thing is to protect Melanie. But the- that's not her job, though. But that's her mission in life. Okay, for Miss Justino. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just mean like that's not the reason she's there. But think that's like every motivation she has throughout the book. Mm-hmm. So, but I just thought those were interesting motivations because they're completely impossible. Like. The threat to Melanie is not from the hungries. It's from the people that Justino works with mm-hmm. and like the actual humans. You know, the hungries yeah. aren't a threat to her. Um, yeah. And then fucking Caldwell's never going to fucking find a cure. That's just not going to happen. So I just thought those two so missions. She should just stop trying before she gets Seriously, started. Seriously, people need to lighten the fuck up. Just let the kids eat people. God. <laughs> Well, Melanie doesn't even eat people at first. Let them eat flesh. (laughs) That was perfect. (laughs) But seriously. But seriously, folks. But seriously, let them eat flesh. Come on. Honestly, though, there's plenty of animals. She eats a cat at one point. It's fine. They're eating grubs like... Let her be, man. That's kind of the, it's kind of goes back to that whole I am legend thing where, you know, spoke on the wheel. Anyway, we're not there yet, though. Okay. The kids are taught, the things they're taught in school are from about 30 years ago. And Melanie starts to figure out her, the information she's getting is probably outdated. Right. And in the beginning part of the book, Miss Justineau also teaches the kids Greek mythology, mm-hmm. and the story of Pandora is Melanie's favorite. And I thought Mr. Carey does a really good job of using the 
story of Pandora over Melanie's story. So it's almost like he's retelling the myth. Ooh, cool. But in, but in this world. That's really fucking cool. I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> oh, going back to what I was saying about Miss Justino trying to like be Melanie's protector. Mm-hmm. At one point, this part just pulled on my heartstrings a lot. And it was one point where Gemma Arterton actually should be crying because it was sad. But Melanie says to her, and I think it's just in the movie. Melanie says to her, there's nothing bad here. Like, oh, and it's yeah. just so gut wrenching because you know that Melanie is going to be fucked if she falls into the hands of Caldwell. Like that it's everything bad. Yeah, there. everything. Is, she's literally just a number. There's no humanization. Also, that was another thing that came really close to never let me go was the way the kids were totally dehumanized by the people caring mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, they're just it's just a product of whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So Okay. All right. Dr. Caldwell, who believes she is close to a cure for the fungus, chooses to dissect Melanie. As Justino interrupts and tries to save her, the base is attacked by a group of junkers and hungries. Caldwell is badly wounded, and in saving Justino, Melanie eats flesh for the first time, awakening her, awakening the hunger of the fungus. Mm-hmm. A few things stuck out for me here in the novel. It says that Caldwell uses blue antiseptic solution and melanie looks like a picked a what which a picked so i don't know what that is it's like it's it's a historical reference and this is like the dumbest way to explain it but you know do you know that stupid movie with clive owen and kira knightley king arthur (laughs) yeah (gasps) okay so kind of like how they are oh and i just thought it's such an amazing visual image okay And it's a great historical reference. That's interesting. Okay. The other part that just kind of like got punched me, Dr. Selkirk is in the lab. She's one of the other teachers. And Melanie, like the hungries are eating Dr. Selkirk. And Melanie says, Selkirk looks like she is hosting a feast. Nice. And I just, yeah, that got me. Welcome to the buffet, Uh, everyone. Basically, I have one thing about that. So, yeah, (laughs) it's fucking hilarious when Selkirk is in the lab and she goes to close. It's in the movie when she goes to, Mm -hmm. like, close the shutters on the windows so the hungries can't get in. She gets bit. Yeah. She turns into a hungry and it's fucking hilarious. She starts running around and runs full on into a wall. It is really funny. So hard and i just thought about how much you love when people fall i do love it it's so funny (laughs) to me like i know it's humiliating and sometimes painful and i think it's hilarious it's like when will ferrell ran into the lockers and elf when you're watching you know one yes exactly like (laughs) that that's what it looked like it's so funny it was it can't not be funny it can't not be funny you're right i i'm sold the other thing that we find out here is that Melanie is invisible to the Hungries. Oh, I thought you were going to say she's just invisible. And I was like, where the fuck was I for this book? <laughs> she has an invisibility cloak, <laughs> just like Harry. It is British, after all. They don't eat her, and it turns out they can't smell her. So by this point, she does not exactly know what she is. Oh, yeah. When they break into the the bunker. Okay, got it. 
So you you kind of start figuring out, hmm, like you start piecing it together. Okay. Okay. So the three find Parks and Private Kieran Gallagher and flee the base together. The group decides to travel to Beacon, 74 miles away, but the adults argue over whether to bring Melanie. Parks only agrees after placing a muzzle and handcuffs on the child. Melanie cooperates, now aware of the danger she poses to the others. Melanie is such a self-aware character throughout both the book and the movie that I thought it's so mature and she's only what, like 10? Yeah, something like that, I think. And she's, there's times that she's like, okay, I need to do this, but keep your gun on me. And I'm like, what? Like, the other thing about that, too, is it's kind of it's like a really beautiful self-acceptance also. It really is. Like the kind that you really don't get until you're much older, usually, as a human. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of beautiful. It is. I, Man, I just love this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is one part in the movie where... Oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to talk about how the film kind of diverges from it and there's a third soldier with them. Okay, go for it. Outside of Parks and Gallagher... I don't even know his name. And since they cut the Junkers, I thought it's great they add him. And you know he's not going to last very long, but it shows how frail humans are in this world. Oh, cool. Okay. I don't even remember him. Okay. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) The thing I also really like about this, you don't often get fast moving zombies. And I love them. Like it adds such a terror for Mm -hmm. me. Agreed. Because we're so used to the... Like meandering, <laughs> do to do. I'm gonna come eat your brains. Out for an and this time, walk. it is like an Olympian sprinting to kill you. That was actually something I really loved about these zombies. Is that so? Like in The Walking Dead, the zombies are pretty much always on the move. They're always moving. Right. They're always slow. Whatever. But these zombies are either in a state of like suspension, almost where they're just still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until they get away. I really like yeah, it. Yeah, it's so cool. And it makes so much more sense. If you think about yeah, they from a biological wouldn't... standpoint, why wouldn't they save their energy? Well, I think the other part that the movie kind of hits on is that this is a fungus and they gather to grow into these <gasps> trees. Oh, yeah. And so they kind of cluster together. Nice. I really like it. I enjoy it very That's much. That's so cool. I like that it, I don't, like most of the time it's a virus and I like that this is a fungus. Yeah, there's a very, um, like, elegant difference, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other kind of difference that he takes is they react to pheromones and sound. And I love that. Also, they can sense body heat. Mm, mm -hmm. So you're not even safe at night. Oh, yeah. Which added such another dimension of fear that I thought it was beautiful. It's so great because think about like I want to take those zombie survival classes so bad. (laughs) I know. And you're not even safe at night. Yeah. Like they have heat vision. What's it called? (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's called... Is it just called night vision? No, it's like thermal detection or something. Okay. Whatever. So they have that. You're safe nowhere. Cool. I love that. I love it so much. That is great. 
<laughs> they don't no, know good. how to open doors, so they're not smarter than the raptors in Jurassic Park. Cool. However, they have these other super senses. It's amazing. In the movie, this is just one little spot where, so like, going back to that whole Caldwell, Justino, impossible mission thing, both of those women seem to throw caution to the wind to complete their, like, motivations, basically. And this is one part where I thought, like, they'll put themselves in danger in order to do what they think is important, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there's one part where Justino says that she will die before anyone touches Melanie. Yeah, and I believe her because she grabs after Melanie saves her um, in the movie when she bites those soldiers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, Miss J picks her up. And, like, cuddles on her and lets Melanie, like, snuggle into her neck. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) There is one part of the movie that I didn't pick up in the book. Like, after she eats, Melanie seems to, like, get high and kind of just... It has a sedative effect. Okay. Does it in the book? I don't remember that part. I didn't pick up on that in the book at all. Okay. So, yeah, I actually had that in my notes as well. I was like, okay... (laughs) <laughs> okay, I don't remember that. I, I kind of liked it in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mind it. How about that? Well, and it served a purpose. Like, it made it mm-hmm. so that Melanie was sated for a while and a little bit yes. safer to be around. So I like when she cracks jokes by saying, I won't bite. And I'm like, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so cute. So on this mission to get to Beacon, Melanie proves useful to the adults. Hungries do not attack her, and she can lead them away from the humans. While Caldwell sees Melanie as a specimen, the others begin to trust the child. After several encounters with Hungries, including a few adults that also retain some human-like behavior, the group finds the mobile laboratory Rosalind Franklin, and Caldwell just jizzes her pants over this fucking lab. Um, It was built soon after the epidemic began with state-of-the-art facilities for experimentation and attack, but disappeared on its research mission. Caldwell, who is dying from sepsis, uses its equipment to urgently continue her research. Oh my god, we skipped over huge swaths of the story right there. That's okay. Okay. I do highly enjoy the fact that Snoop Dogg and the Spice Girls album makes it into the lab. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got to have those comforts, right? Yes, it's very important to carry that on. (laughs) So going, rewinding just a little bit before they get to the mobile lab, they're going through this, they're going through town in the movie. Well, and in the book. And they're going through London. Yeah. Are they not in London in the book, though, are they? Yes, they are. I thought they hadn't gotten there yet. But anyway, it doesn't really matter that much. So there's this group of hungries and one of the adult hungries exhibiting that human like behavior is a woman pushing a stroller and shit gets gnarly. So Caldwell gets really curious and can't help herself and lifts up the baby blanket out of the stroller and we get to see a rat eating a baby corpse. So and it jumps at her. Ooh. I love that scene in the book so much and I feel like the fallout of that scene they missed in the movie. One cool little tidbit it was when they before they run into that woman in the movie, Glenn Close's sister-in-law actually makes a cameo right before that in the scene and Shut the fuck up. I Are you her- serious? Yes, and her sister-in-law is, like, obsessed with zombie movies, so they, like, gave her a cameo in this, and I love that. It warms my little cold, dead zombie heart. That is so cute. (laughs) 
Once again, in the movie, this scene isn't as traumatic. And the other issue I had in the movie is they keep shooting their guns and randomly these zombies are hearing it. Oh, yeah. These silencers are not that quiet. Right. I just thought it was interesting how it's another one of those moments where the curiosity overrides Caldwell's survival instinct because she has to... Common sense. Exactly. Like, it's another one of those scenarios. But yeah, I... uh, I had a lot of problems with the movie also, but it wasn't right here where the movie really started to lose me as much. Okay. Um, anyway, so I have some, some stuff about the hospital. Oh, they also end up in a hospital before they get to the mobile lab. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what made me think of this, but think about it. An elevator shaft would be such a great place to hide in a zombie apocalypse. So okay. you like you. Oh, but your the doors wouldn't open, would they? No, I don't think so. Cut that out. Never mind. I was just thinking <laughs> you could like, if you could get the doors open, you could like live in the shaft and cut co- like cover. You know what I'm saying? Like crawl up into the top. Okay. In the shaft, not in the elevator car itself, but like on right. top of the elevator. And like if zombies tried to come up there, that's a tiny little door. Okay. Anyway. And they can't climb. Oh, they can't? Can they? I don't know. <laughs> this is your zombie world you're building. <laughs> this is my survival. So even if they could climb, only one at a time can get through that fucking door. So you can like you just go. kick them in the face. Anyway, elevator shafts, everyone. <laughs> you heard it here first. Not Costco. Well, you take your Costco haul to the elevator okay, shaft. She- you build an elevator shaft inside Costco. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. That's the way to Maybe do it. Maybe they already have one. What? <laughs> no, never mind. What are you talking well, about? Costco, like if you look in the building, it's tall <laughs> enough to be two stories. Never mind. I'm drunk. Okay. Okay, so a couple things in the book that we found out here. It took humanity three years to fall. It wasn't like an overnight thing. And I think when I picture the apocalypse, like I see the power going out and all of a sudden I'm like making a run to Canada. (laughs) Yeah. Like you get out of the cities. Oh, yeah, I would. That would be like my first step. But that's not how it is. It's three years, three years of this failing society. That's a long time. Why would you stick around? But for three years, you're slowly just watching things fall apart. Isn't it kind of like boiling a frog in the pot and stuff? Like and stuff. You slowly <laughs> and stuff. You slowly turn up the temperature, you know? Yeah, I could totally. Yeah, I get it. And humans, honestly, they don't want to believe that their lives are crumbling down around them either. So they'll hold on to any semblance of... I don't want to believe our society's falling now. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome to The Handmaid's Tale, everyone. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> the other thing I thought was, I believe this thing happens at the hospital where Caldwell mentions, quote unquote, real people. And says that Melanie is unlike anything they've ever seen. It might be also where they're like circling Mm -hmm. the vines. I don't know. Okay. Um, Like I said, I got real discombobulated between the movie and the book. But what I was curious about is if Melanie is unlike anything they've ever seen before, how does it not occur to Caldwell that this is not, this is just 
could be just another evolutionary step. Like, I know it's not technically evolution, but if. But it is. Well, not really, because evolution is more like inherited traits, whereas this is a symbiosis. This is an infection. A callback to the movie Venom. <laughs> it's a symbiote. 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 I don't know. Symbabot. Can you say that word five more ways? <laughs> Let me just keep adding letters. <laughs> but anyway. Is symbiomitosis. <laughs> I'm just going to start changing that word in different ways and see if one sticks. That's a good idea. Let's see if we even notice. Um, but I think it goes back to that whole... Never mind. I just thought it was funny that, like, does it not occur to Caldwell that this literally could just be how humans are going to evolve from here on out? Like, why doesn't she okay. see that? Yeah. Okay. I mean, she does by the end. Okay. That's true. This is also a little part that we find out that from Oh, wakes. Yeah. So that kind of ties into what you were saying with the three-year thing is, like, maybe humans just really want to fucking hold on to what they have and they dig their heels in. Yeah, because we do. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's all I wanted. Okay. <laughs> so in this part, we find out from Parks that there's been no word from Beacon for five months. Oh, God. That, so, like, freaked me out. I was like, oh, shit. We don't have a safety net. They are headed to somewhere they don't even know if it still exists. Yeah, what the fuck? They base their sole survivor survival plan on something that's... A total shot in the dark. Why did the book change? Yeah, anyway. The book changes it a little bit, and you hear that beacon is falling. You mean the movie? The movie. Gosh, I do that Get every your episode. Fucking shit together. In the film, it explains <laughs> that beacon is falling. Okay, but in the movie, all you or God, <laughs> sorry. In the book, all you ever know is that there's been no word from them. Yeah. I'd be pissed at Parks if I'm on this little expedition and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, by the way. If all of a sudden you find out that there's been no word from these people for five months. I'd be like, they're fucking dead, Parks. What are you thinking? Why are we going there? Why didn't we just stay at the church on the road or whatever the fuck? Mm -hmm. Remember? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. I had this written down. I kind of crossed it out. You kind of crossed it out or you crossed it out? Well, I crossed it out, but I do want to talk about it. Okay. In the book, there's a few times that we really see the male perspective. And at first, it was pissing me off because one of the lines Park says is, I don't have a dog in this cat fight. And I was oh, like, Oh, yeah. Fuck I was you. so mad about that. But then it carries on and I see that he kind of does it throughout the book. And I'm like, Oh, wait. This is just what a man thinks about in the apocalypse. And I think it's what, because, like, a military man thinks about in the apocalypse. But he says other things. There's other times that he turns things sexual that obviously aren't. And I'm like, and they talk about, oh, we're going to trade all this stuff for porn. Like, these are still things Ew. where I'm so focused on let's survive to the next day. I don't care. At one point, he's like, I'm so exhausted, even though I saw her vagina when she peed. I don't even have the energy to masturbate. And I'm like... This, this is really your concern here? And yeah, like I said, I was annoyed. And then once I, I was like, why is this in here? And then I took a step back 
And I realized that it's only when he's speaking from the in the male character. Never once does he turn something like that when he's speaking in a female voice. Which in itself is a little sexist. Women think about sex too. I know, but not when... I don't think a woman's like, oh, hey, I glanced a part of his penis. I gotta go masturbate now. Like, it's the end of the world. You are running for your life. Yeah, there's that hierarchy of needs and like survival's kind of like at the top and then sex is a little bit lower than that. I think especially for Miss Just No, she's trying to protect basically her child. Yeah. She's not thinking about this at the moment where it's clearly in the forefront of his mind. Do you think that, and I'm not disagreeing with you in any way, um, because I had that masturbation thing in the church they're in a church right underlined and i was like that came out of left field like it took me aback i was like what the fuck where did this come from it took me aback too but i think it's very purposeful in there like it has a purpose so what's the purpose i didn't see it but i think it's just to show the difference like some things are innate yes okay like this is just part of the male human nature maybe I had an I'm not a man, so I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> unfortunately. You're not? Why didn't you tell me this like five years ago? <laughs> Shit. It's only been this whole time. It's only been four. Can I ask a question? Yes. Is it a comfort thing? Like sucking your thumb? <laughs> Masturbating and sucking your thumb are the same. Well, no, I think they are on the same like human. Like, uh, whatever that word is. Never mind. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying women don't think about sex and masturbation and all of this stuff. I think it's just such... It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think women prioritize things differently. <laughs> just a little. And that's still, like, at the top for a man. <laughs> that is interesting. The, anyway, the other thing that made me I, sad was that that... Guy Gallagher, he got that girl pregnant and then did he leave? Ran out on yeah, her. Yeah, I was like, oh, you're a dick. <laughs> he really is a dick. I'm not even talking about from like Gallagher, mostly from parks. Yeah. You hear things he says that are really sexist and annoying. And then I realized it kind of shows the development of his character. And it's only from that perspective that the author writes this. Yeah. And I actually liked it a lot. Interesting. I didn't, yeah, I did not go that deep with it. I think that's a pretty interesting observation. Okay. I'm just, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because he knows everything is fucked anyway. Because he's the one who knows that Beacon's been silent at that point, And nobody else really does, I don't think. Yeah, he keeps it to himself. <laughs> he's like, we're all going to die. I might as well bone someone. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> anyway. Okay, the last thing I have here is that Parks and Miss Justino are talking out on the roof, and she says that the junkers are like parasites. Mm. They are ruthlessly patriarchal structures that reduce women to pack animals or breeding stock. Mm-hmm. And Parks replies to her that there have been dark ages before, things fall down, and people build them up again. There's probably never been a time when life was just a steady state. I loved that. I love that. And this statement was really interesting to me, and it made me stop and kind of scan my knowledge of history. And I think it says a lot about the resiliency of the human spirit. 
Yes, I think you're 100% right. I obsessively love this book and I can't talk about it enough. (laughs) I also think that it shows that everything is always in a state of flux. Like this era in time that we're reading is a hundred percent is not special. It's just another chapter. This state that we're living in isn't special. Right. It's just part of. And it doesn't matter how dark it gets like it. We bounce back. I actually don't even see it that way. I just see it as we'll eventually destroy ourselves. But okay. Okay, here we go again. You took the dark road and I rode and I took the road of hope. You last episode, you were like, I think I think I think I take things darker than you do. Okay, well, like two episodes ago. (laughs) You're like, yes, fatalism. And I'm like, oh, I look at it like a bright, cheery thing. And Okay, so we're just reversing roles each other. We are because I kept seeing lots of I Am Legend in this. I did too. Yeah, and we talked about I Am Legend and how it influenced the zombie genre so hardcore. And so, yeah, for sure. I took this book like Melanie is Ruth. I love that idea. That is so cool. That makes me really happy. I didn't even think about it that way. And that is so cool. Okay. All right. Plot summary. I'll pat myself on the head for that one. Good. Because that's (laughs) great. Melanie is Ruth. (laughs) I love this book even more now. I love when I can see you like slowly getting things. And I'm like, okay, yeah. It takes a while. (laughs) It might be clicking. It takes a while for the dots to connect sometimes. While Melanie sates her hunger away from the others by eating wild animals, she finds a group of child hungries. Melanie sees that they too retain their mental functions, although they have no language of their own, being uneducated. Afraid that they will be experimented on, Melanie instead tells the adults she saw a large group of junkers, but reveals the truth to Justino. Gallagher, scared of junkers, flees the lab. He's found by the intelligent hungries, killed and eaten. None of that's in the movie, except for it is. Yeah, Gallagher is such a fucking pussy here. First, he runs out on his pregnant girlfriend back at Beacon. Oh, yeah, that's bullshit. Then things get a little scary, so he flees the lab. See, in the movie, he goes out to search for something. Sir. For food. for food, that's right. Yeah, so I like that he's not such a pansy. He's not just like scared running. Yeah. In the in the book, when he runs, he does not take anything with him. Like he literally just has what's on his back. Oh, he's a genius. Okay. And like he's got no ammo for his gun. He has nothing. He's an idiot. He takes no food, no water. Like I don't even know if he took like his coat. He just left. And I'm like, you have no plan. I think what the movie missed out, like with the Junkers, they kind of, because after they leave Beacon, the Junkers are hunting them from an incident with Gallagher in the very beginning. Uh And I think that's why he's like so scared of them. And it really kind of misses out. That's something I, that's what I was going to ask you about. I don't know if the movie cutting out the Junkers really simplified Enough to make up for the loss, if that makes sense. And there's something about that whole misinformation thing that feels really tragic to me, like something you would hear in a Greek tragedy. Like she makes up the lie and then he goes out to his death. 
Like, that sounds pretty tragic. It does. And I like it a lot more. And I liked the idea of the Junkers, and I was pissed that it wasn't in the movie. I like everything about the Junkers. I like that they use the Hungries as bioweapons. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's missing. Like, there's just an element missing to the movie. It turns it into... It turns the movie into just your standard zombie action flick. So on the cover of the movie, they compare it to 28 Days Later. And I feel like that doesn't quite... Like, it doesn't match up for me. The only thing that I got that was similar to 28 Days Days Later was the fact that the zombies move quickly. And also, every time there's going to be something scary that happens, the camera starts to get really shaky. Yeah, I just didn't feel like... It didn't have the depth that 28 Days Later had. No. I think there's better zombie movies. For sure. Like 28 Days Later. (laughs) Like 28 Days Later. So we do see the kids in... Like, the kids see Gallagher in the movie go out on his um, reconnaissance thing and trying to get food. Mm -hmm. And they go back, and there's, like, this little clan of kids, and I had fucking nightmare flashbacks to Clan of the Cave Bear. I literally did. Their costumes were so bad. One of them was even wearing fucking... the little feral kids. Oh, my God. They were even wearing fucking leopard print. I wanted to murder the (laughs) costume designer. It was terrible. Because I didn't even. Okay, so in the book, they're all naked. See, up until that point, I thought the movie did a good job of costuming because like with Miss J's outfit, you could tell she was wearing remnants like these are this is what's left Mm -hmm. over. And that's fine. But these the way that it was literally clan of the cave bear. The other thing I think is funny with the costumes, Miss J finds Melanie some clean clothes. And what does Melanie do? Like a typical kid, she goes out and fucks up her new clothes. (laughs) what a turd i feel like that's what happens you get your kid dressed you turn your back and they've got shit all over them that's a hundred percent true which is why you don't dress them nicely until you're about to enter whatever event you're going to and you always bring back always bring backups otherwise it is guaranteed your kid is gonna have crap all over them and they're gonna revel in it because they're assholes (laughs) so this is the the feral kids is where the movie really started to lose me i started to get really pissed off and angry and just i was done i was done at that point well there is one scene here in the film that i enjoy okay very much i think i know what it is do you what do you think it is it's uh never mind you tell me it's where they find the tree thing No. no never mind Okay, so after they find that the kids have eaten Gallagher's body, they realize it's a trap for them as well. Uh And Melanie challenges all the little feral kids, and she ends up bashing in the leader's skull. And she turns to Parks and Miss J, and she's like, pretend you're afraid of me. And Parks goes, uh, pretend? (laughs) And I love that moment so much. I think I laughed so hard because there is no pretending she is terrifying yeah. and she doesn't even realize it. That's actually, yeah, that's totally true. I liked that scene a lot too. I love that part. And she is terrifying in it. She's such a great actress. She really is. She captured this like intensity and she really went fucking wild trying to protect the people that she was with. The other thing that I kept noticing was the leader kid 
I just kept thinking in my mind, Rufio. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had that written down. I thought it was like Hook's kid. It was, exactly- and I kept waiting for him to swing in. It was exactly like the Lost Boys. You're the pan. Did you not have the biggest crush on Rufio? No. Okay. No, I actually, him. I'm lying. I probably did. Okay. Yes, that was that's funny that you had like the same scene in your head because that is literally what I had. It's the Lost Boys. Okay, another question. That food that they're eating in the liquor store or the convenience store, that shit is 20 years old and it's been sitting on a shelf. You are gonna okay, die if you eat that. So here's the in the book they did a much better job because they opened the cans and some of them have gone bad that's and some right. of them haven't that's right. so they have to really pick through them yeah. and i think it's interesting too because gallagher gallagher was born like just before the breakdown yeah. or just at at the breakdown so like he's never had peanuts <laughs> and he describes eating peanuts for the first time and their saltiness and it's just such a great like experience that I got through the writing. Yeah. That's interesting. And I like that they I like that they really have to pick through the canned goods because these quote unquote non-perishable items are perishable. Yeah. These do not last until the end of time. No, they are hundred percent perishable. And so they have to open things, see if it smells edible or not. And usually it's like a third of the food is okay still yeah i've gone to costco and i get those big packs of ground turkey and Mm -hmm. sometimes i'll go up to the case and the packs are like swollen looking and i'm like oh no oh no (laughs) but you would think costco would have a higher standard anyway while parks and justino search for gallagher caldwell obsessed with finishing her research before dying captures one of the intelligent hungries and experiments on him she makes remarkable findings but but does not let the others inside fearing that they will interfere melanie finds a giant mass of fungal fruiting bodies that have grown in the years since the infection began while there are enough spores to infect the entire world by air currents the pods that contain the spores sporangia do not open on their own. I thought the description in the book where they find this, the fruiting bodies growing out of the mm-hmm. bodies, <laughs> the out of the hungries, like it looked really cool in the movie, but I was so much more creeped out by the description in the book. It was so much more ethereal. I felt like, yeah, they describe them as like clouds yeah and they're they're wispy and if you touch them they disintegrate which is really interesting yeah uh, i don't think the movie effects I, were bad i just liked the book description no. better. i thought they were fine in the movie like i still got it and i thought it was great but i really enjoyed the descriptions in the book i also i loved the scene in the book and i 100 get why they left it out of the movie it's with her driving with that kid's head like scissored between doors in Rosie. Oh, yeah. And the other thing the book really showed was once she takes him, the little feral hungry kids, it's personal for them. And they they are so pissed. So you really see their intelligence there. Mm -hmm. I understand it's not an easy thing to film. And like the lab doesn't look like it could drive in the movie. No, it looks like... um, But... Mobile, like mobile shipping containers. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. The other thing I thought was great is that here we really get to understand that Caldwell knows that the airborne version of the virus is coming Mm -hmm. and it will wipe out the rest of humanity. And she is desperate at this point. Yeah. All right. Okay. I just I'm not like I just feel like I have more to say, but I can't quite put my finger on it um okay melanie tricks caldwell into letting her inside before dying caldwell shares her findings with melanie there's no cure or vaccine for the fungus dun 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 intelligent hungries are second generation ones conceived by hungries who retained some human behavior those born in this way retain their mental abilities yes did she only find this out from dissecting the little boy or did she know this all along No, she only found it out by dissecting the little boy and only because she has this, gosh, I forget what it's called, an atlium laser microscope. Oh, okay. She never had access to this before. In this lab, there's top of the state of the art scientific equipment and she never had that before. Okay, And so she doesn't find it till there. The film does a good job explaining how Melanie is second- generation and Caldwell says that these kids ate their way out of their mothers Mm -hmm. which is crazy but in the novel it takes a slight different turn and he says that some hungries retain their partial human patterns which means even if they are hungries they're still having sex and giving birth to children Mm mm-hmm So it's not like the last remaining humans are the only chance for the second generation. Okay. Like all the remaining hungries still have the chance to have these kids. Okay. The other thing that Caldwell finds out in the novel is that the fungus in the second generation, it spreads evenly through the kids' brains and it doesn't feed on them. Yeah. So it's not a parasite. Right. Where it is... In the first generation where it do- it does eat your brain. And so anyway, the kids retain their their intelligence. So basically the hungries, the real hungries that are like infected with the fungus, they're kind of mm-hmm. throwaways. They're almost like those fruits. You know, they're like seed pods, basically. So if, if yeah. they have sex, we'll get the second generation of intelligent hungries that can go on and right. rebuild the earth. Yes. And it seems like not all of the hungries have those human patterns. Right. I was curious about that. But I think enough of them do because even the feral kids they find, they say they're between the ages of four and 15. Okay. So that's a pretty big gap for these hungries to be having kids. Yeah. Where in the movie it explains like they found a maternity ward and they found these kids. It doesn't talk about parks hunting them. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I don't, once again, I like how the book does it better. <laughs> the book does it better. That should be yeah. the name of our podcast. <laughs> it, well. I mean, that's not fair. It's just a joke. That's not yeah. fair. I, I think he handled the film version well. I just prefer the book. Yeah. For certain things. Do you have nope. something? Okay, so in the film, also, this takes a different turn. And Caldwell says she can make a vaccine and she needs Melanie's body to do oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then Melanie asks this important question because at the beginning, Caldwell kind of says, you know, we're trying to figure out if you're human, if you're alive. At the end, Melanie asks, 
do you know? And Caldwell tells her, yes, you are human. You are alive. And so Melanie says, why should it be us that die for you? Mm -hmm. I thought this was such a great sentiment that we always think that everything else should surrender its existence for ours. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true. It's definitely not true. We, But I don't know how you you jump your brain over that hurdle. I don't think you can as a human because you've got too much skin in the game. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like your existence is in the right game. exactly it's kind of basic human nature but i but we should be intelligent enough to know that just like in i am legend we're a blip yeah once again melanie is ruth and she's not gonna sacrifice herself she doesn't want to die for this weak version of humans but she would yeah yes i agree Maybe they're not a weak version. She's just a different version of humanity. It's kind of like evolution. Well, and also we're a cruel, we are a cruel version of humanity where it's just like I Am Legend where the little fucking lost boys are just trying to survive and then we go and fucking murder a little boy. Yeah, but they're a cruel version too because they set traps and lure people in to eat them. But it's still surviving. We set traps for animals to eat. So we're just their version of a cow. Mm -hmm. Oh, there is a part. Should we finish this plot first and then? No, there's a part here where so Parks is explaining things to Melanie and he says it's like reciting a beef stew recipe to a cow. Mm. And I thought, oh, yikes. What was he explaining to her? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. That's hilarious, though. But the way he he's like, this is weird. <laughs> so I thought that's yeah. really great, though, that Mr. Carey put all that in there. OK, outside the lab, Parks and Justino are cornered by Hungries. Melanie frightens them away, but Justino is knocked unconscious and Parks is bitten and infected. Parks asks Melanie to shoot him before the infection cycle finishes. So he does not turn into a Hungry. She agrees to do so. She asks him to shoot the mass of spores with a flamethrower, deducing correctly that the environmental trigger trigger to open the spores is fire. Before Melanie complies with Park's request to kill him, she explains that as long as there are healthy humans, the war between them and the Hungries will continue. For second generation Hungries to be born and rebuild the world, every human must first be infected. Justino awakens in the Rosalind Franklin. Melanie leads her to a group of intelligent hungries to whom Justino, wearing an environmental protection suit, starts teaching the alphabet. Cute. I fucking love this book. (laughs) Parks says that the world is over and Melanie tells him it's not over. It's just your it just isn't yours anymore. That's perfect. I love it so much. It's great. I think it's amazing. It is. I agree. She she infected the world. Uh, but that's true because then the conflict is over. It's 100% over. It's done. Yeah. She ended all of it. Does it start over again, though, once you have different groups of uh, second generation kids? I mean, I think that's just the point. Like, the world is never an even yeah, heal, but yeah. this war is over. You're right. Yes, that is absolutely correct. It just keeps going. 
the other thing is she literally infects the entire globe. <laughs> That's insane to think about. So we only see this blip in England. You don't even know what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, there could be millions of people and left. She literally just set fire to it all. I didn't think about that at all. I don't know how I feel about it. Now that you say that, I don't know how I feel about that either. But no, I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to say that's fucking awesome. Yeah, I totally roll with it. I just like once you step back and realizing the global scale of what she has done. Yeah. In this tiny little blip. Yeah. It's insane. This tiny little girl completely affected the world. tiny little girl just changed the entire globe forever. That's really cool. I do have questions and stuff he doesn't touch upon, like what happens to the animals and all of this stuff. Well, there's a cat that she eats. Well, she eats a cat. She catches a fox. The rat's eating the baby. I know. So are they not... Infectable? Right. Apparently not. Because I know they said it jumps species from ants, so does it not affect the rest of the animal kingdom? Or maybe it affects it the way it affects Melanie. Maybe. To where they're still functioning. I have no idea. No, that question won't be answered. I know, and I'm I'm fine with Me it. Me too. But I love all of the implications of the bus this book. I love all the ways you can take it. Uh-huh. My husband watched the movie with me. He had a lot of questions at the end, like how does Miss Chestnut eat? And if everything's in the air. Oh. He brought up lots of questions that I didn't want to think about. I'm like, it's not in the script. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I bet we can come up with an answer. There's. Well, I was trying to think of like airlocks and stuff, but it's all in the air. Yeah. So if something has air on it. (laughs) Yeah. That's the whole issue that you start getting into. (laughs) Like your your can of tuna. (laughs) definitely has touched the air so unless there's a sanitation thing in the airlock oh but we they're microscopic air particles does it that's how sanitation works (laughs) (laughs) jesus christ but we don't know what sanitizes that fungus so no fuck i wanted it all i I hated the movie anyway so it's fine i really hate when Andrew asks me questions that I don't have answers. I'm like, can't you just take the movie for what it is? Like, shut up. (laughs) See, I take it as like, oh, I know there's an answer and I'm going to find it. It might take me four years, but I will find that answer. No, I'm like, oh, what do you know? Plot hole. (laughs) (laughs) Or he'll be like, why did they do that? I'm like, I don't know, because it told them to. Like, that's just what's written. Leave it alone. What really pisses me off is when I've been sitting in tandem with my husband watching a movie second for second, the same as he has. And he asks me, like, what's happening? And I'm like, I don't fucking know any more than you do at this point. I hate when people do that. And it's like, oh, who's that person? I don't know. You've seen exactly what I've yeah, seen. If I haven't read the book, I can't tell you anything about it. If there is no book, we could be reading a Dateline. We could be watching Dateline. Oh, what did this person do? I don't know. (laughs) You've literally seen the exact same thing I have. Yeah, it's annoying. If you don't have an answer, why should I? But then I find myself on the other side of that wanting to ask those questions also. And I have to check myself before I wreck myself. Are you like, "Mm, zip it? Zip it, clip it, ship it. Okay. uh, Final thoughts? 
Final thoughts. I love everything about this book. Okay. The movie is fine and good, but the book really did it for me. (laughs) Well, the character development throughout the book is phenomenal. Uh, This is a book I will probably keep going back to. Mm -hmm. And basically, watch the movie if you want to, but everyone should pick up this novel. And I actually love this book so much. Like I said, I'm going to go buy the prequel of The Boy on the Bridge, and it will probably be appearing in one of our Lit Bits episodes. I wish I had bought that for you for Christmas now. Oh, well. Damn it. You shut up. Oh, well. I'm I'm obsessed with Mr. Carey now. Mr. Carey. (laughs) That's all I'm going to call him forever. MR, screw that. Mr. Carey. That is your right. It's perfect. Um, so I'm right there with you. I actually didn't really care for the movie. It wasn't horrible, but they pretty much lost me once we got to the Lost Boys. Um, <laughs> it started to feel really cheap. Once huh? Rufio, once Rufio did not make a cameo, you were out. Yeah, I was like, why isn't he the leader? Um, <laughs> it started to feel really cheap to me at that point, and I got really disappointed. Okay. Although I really did like the way Glenn Close played Caldwell I didn't love how Gemma Arterton made Miss J seem so soft I just didn't like it it goes along with what you were saying I think they cast it incorrectly I like Gemma Arterton I just don't think this was right I like her too I just don't I did not want it cast this way yeah Parks was neither here nor there for me I didn't he was like background in the movie for me i didn't feel anything for him i didn't relate to him i didn't connect to him also in the book i kept picturing whatever the fuck that guy's name is from the walking dead with the handlebar mustache the redheaded guy that gets beat to death by morgan (gasps) yeah that's who i kept picturing that's who they should have cast abraham abraham i don't know what his real name is i do like him a whole lot for as much as i dislike the walking dead i feel like i bring it up every episode do you? I kind of think I do. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, um, this is just one of those things where the movie didn't really bring anything to the table for me. I don't feel like there's a need to watch the movie. Just read the book. It's way better. Mm-hmm. It's way, it's like leaps and bounds better. The book is fucking awesome. Yeah, I can't. His name is Michael Cudlitz. That's a weird name. Okay. Parks had a great character development in the book. I feel like he was kind of one-dimensional in the movie yes i didn't see him grow as much as a person in the film do you really felt like he grew that much in the book yeah because he went from being a total dick about the kids and the freaking abortions to really caring and protecting melanie i guess i just read him in both scenarios as a soldier on a mission I don't think so. I think he changes in the book. I mean, that's probably true. Well, he kind of does in the movie, too. He goes out looking for her, but whatever. Anyway, I think he had a lot better character development in the novel. I have one quick question. I don't mean to get us off track, but like him and Miss Justino hook up. Yes, they do. I didn't like that. I didn't see the point of it. He got one last lay before he died. And it, there were no details. Once again, we were left hanging. Yeah. It was just a like I, fade to black thing. It's. It seemed pointless. Like, I didn't understand the point of it, so. I guess it was just one more human connection. I feel like writers try to use sex that way, and that's not how I want it used. I want it to be dirty and fun. You want it to be erotic. Listen, every novel we read needs to be erotic. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different podcast. Get me that Aquaman. (laughs) 
<laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Flashback to Lipbits. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are you yeah, good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. Please join us next Sunday for our episode of Lipbits, where we'll talk about the other things we've read and watched along with any current events. If you are reading along with us, our next book will be To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han, along with the film by the same name streaming on Netflix. It will be released in two weeks. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on our website at thelipflixpodcast.com, or you can always email us at thelipflixpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. All right. Cheers.